0: Hey, BARD listeners. If you live in New York City and love the public library, we need your help. This past fall, our public libraries sustained deep mid-year cuts that forced an end of seven-day service and reduction of our materials and programs. We're now facing more budget cuts for the coming fiscal year. Libraries across the city stand to lose $58.3 million in funding. If these cuts are not reversed, we may have to reduce materials and programming yet again, including further reductions to our days of service. As many as half of all New York City libraries would be open only five days a week. The good news is you can help. Send a letter to city leaders telling them that you support the library. It's easy, it only takes 30 seconds, and you can do it now. If you live in Brooklyn, go to bklynlibrary.org slash standup, all one word, to fill out the form. If you live in any of the other boroughs, you can send a letter on behalf of Queens Public Library or New York Public Library. Learn how at investinlibraries.org. Thank you so much for your support. Hey, borrowed listeners, Virginia here, and with me in the printing room of Central Library is Hailing Oropesa. Hi, Hailing. Hi, and thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being here. So you work at Central Library's InfoCommons as a librarian, and InfoCommons, for those who don't know, is an incredibly busy place. Whenever I walk by, I see two or three patrons waiting to ask questions about computers or printing or filling out, you know, various applications. Um, And I wanted to talk to you in particular, because here at Borrowed, we've been thinking for a while about how to tell a different kind of story about the library, because over the past few months, we at the library have seen an increase in people coming to New York City seeking asylum, often from the Caribbean, Central, and South America.
1: Uh, Yeah, my co-workers and I noticed an increase in activity around mid-September. We noticed a small group of young men coming in. They would come in groups of three to seven individuals, um, and they would approach us for assistance. They were seeking aid in obtaining an ID card with uh, the IDNYC office um, here at Central. And given my fluency in Spanish here, um, I would often go over the application with them, asking about the type of documents they needed in order to fulfill the four-point requirement. So yeah,
0: if listeners don't know, maybe could you explain what an ID NYC card is? Sure,
1: an ID NYC card is a free city issued um, photo ID for New York City residents. It's a gateway to so many things in the city. Um, it often. Gives you the ability to fill out health benefits, um, use it at jobs, open bank accounts, and so much more.
0: Gotcha. So I wonder if you could tell us about some of the people you've helped in the past few months, you know, asylum seekers, maybe looking to fill out an IDNYC application. Yeah. Um, so I was
1: able to assist the family. It came in. I was a married couple and a two brothers. They had, like, little to no computer literacy skills, so they... Asked me if I could, like, help them out. They didn't want to be denied. There was that big fear of just doing the whole process all over again. So I go with them, you know, explain to them the application so that they give me their names, their addresses, the forms that I need to print and scan. So once we do that, we would make the appointment as well. Oh, for all four of them oh my <laughs> gosh and this is all in spanish of course this is all in spanish correct yeah. um and then they also confide in me um the troubles they've been going to and experiencing at the shelter seeing discrimination as well as some of their belongings had been taken by somebody who also lived there mm. so they didn't feel safe there um and wanted to Get on with their lives and ask me about job opportunities. They ask me about food
0: and clothing. And, you know, they're coming to the library asking all of these different questions. And, you know, you're an information librarian, right? And so it's your job to connect them with all these different resources. So I'm sure they're very grateful to walk in and have one person who they can actually communicate with kind of show them around. Yeah. So I try. Yeah. I try my best. Yeah, I mean, we're really lucky to have you. And <laughs> and the other staff, I mean, recently I talked with um, Allison Pryor, and she's the new Americans navigator at BPL. Um, and she's another staff member here who helps asylum seekers navigate these services in New York City as you're doing. So here's a little bit from Allison. I connect people with free legal services that the library offers through Action NYC. Uh, which is an initiative from the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs. And Allison told me that, you know, these days she talks to about 10 people a month who are looking for legal help with their asylum cases, which is up from about like one or two per month before this fall. Because her conversations often take place in two languages, she ends up spending most of her day on the phone.
1: A lot of people just tell me that they hear about us from friends or just from the libraries themselves. They go to their local library and they have questions about immigration and they walk away with my phone number or email address yeah it might seem surprising that um asylum seekers are calling bpl and walking into central looking for help but the library is seen by many as a place to go for and it's trusted
0: and we have updated information most of the time yeah exactly (laughs) And we have branches in every neighborhood in the borough, um, so we can really meet people where there are. So in addition to connecting people with legal services, Allison, like you, you know, she recommends food programs or ESOL classes based on where the caller is located.
1: Over the past few months, Allison, myself, and a dozen other at BPL have been listening to what asylum seekers need and working with other city agencies and community-based organizations to respond to those needs. This is a constantly changing crisis, and we're just a small part of the citywide response to the recent increase in New Yorkers seeking
0: asylum. So we're going to be digging into all of that in a two-part episode. So this first part, we're going to focus on library partnerships and city initiatives. I'm Virginia Marshall, audio producer at BPL. And I'm Haleen Oropesa, librarian at BPL. And today,
1: your co-host, you're listening to Borrowed, Stories to Start at the Library.
0: If you walk into the Civic Commons on any given weekday, you'll see families waiting for appointments at our passport office, people on public computers, and individuals lining up for appointments with IDNYC. The Civic Commons is a
1: new part of Central Library on the Flatbush Avenue side of the building. It's also where asylum seekers can set up free private appointments to get legal help with the Immigration
0: Justice Corps in Action New York. The Civic Commons has become a kind of hub for asylum seekers. And on a recent Friday morning, we met Manuel Castro, the commissioner of the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs, or MOIA, in Central Library's Civic Commons. He said it felt good to be back at the library.
2: The library was always a, a refuge for myself. I I was a migrant child myself. I came here when I was five. I crossed the border with my mother when I was a, a young kid. And I grew up undocumented here in Brooklyn. In one of the places that I could find some comfort. I mean, life was a bit chaotic. I went to school near near the uh, main branch here at the Brooklyn Library. And so after school, I would come here and it was just at peace.
0: Commissioner Castro went to college and became part of the movement of undocumented young people who pushed for legal status. After graduation, he continued to advocate for immigrant rights, becoming executive director at New Immigrant Community Empowerment, an organization in Queens, before he was appointed commissioner at Moya.
1: There, he oversees city services for newly arrived New Yorkers. It's a big job because New York City is such an international place. He said that his work is often influenced by global immigration and migration patterns.
2: You know, whenever there's a situation, uh, usually crisis anywhere in the world, you, you see, you know, those impacted arrive in New York City because really it's been a destination for people who are seeking refuge, but also because they have existing family ties or community ties here. So when... Uh, the invasion of Ukraine happened, for instance, around this time last year, I knew that there was a large Ukrainian community here and that we would likely see family members come over. And certainly we started to see that influx.
0: There are large communities of Ukrainian and Russian immigrants in Southern Brooklyn in neighborhoods like Sheepshead Bay and Brighton Beach. So that's been a big destination for recent Russian-speaking refugees. There are people arriving in New York City, seeking refuge and asylum from all over the world every day. But this episode and our next episode will focus on asylum seekers from the Caribbean and Central and South America who cross the Mexican border into Texas, because their situation has put the city and the library in a unique position.
1: Right. Last spring, Governor Abbott of Texas announced he would be sending buses of people who crossed the U.S. border to New York City. Many of those people were told they could either stay in detention or get on buses. Sometimes they weren't even told where they were going. I talked with them and gave them food and water. Um, And let me tell you, being at that bus terminal to greet people was an eye opener. And it was a very emotional experience for me.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Um, And in part two of this episode, we will hear from some of those asylum seekers and what they went through to get here. The commissioner was also at Port Authority welcoming people who came on some of those first buses from Texas. And we started our interview by asking him about that experience.
2: We saw a lot of families, a lot of children, and often people who had not received any kind of support at the border, uh, often with medical conditions that were not addressed and they were overall confused. They thought, and it made sense that they thought that this was all a coordinated effort, that this was part of the federal government infrastructure, that they had set up these buses to take them to New York City. One of the first people I met, for instance, was this uh, person who wanted to actually go to Portland, Oregon, and had gotten on this bus and I'll never forget this. He was. I was standing with him, uh, right outside the Greyhound bus, and he looks at me. He's like, "How how far is Portland, Oregon, from here?" He's like, "Yeah, that I have you know family. I have people that I I can, I can ask for support." And I was like, "I'm I'm sorry, but that's like on the other side of this the country." And I, I had to pull up Google Maps to show you know like, and, and just his face was like, "What it, you know like." total confusion and and a whole lot of feelings. To me, it was so unfortunate that we didn't have a system in place to support people who had been, who had gone through so much.
1: I I was part of just like handing out food and drinks and just kind of just being there for people. Mm -hmm. Um, I've experienced that, but this was at another level. Mm and I remember just like you said, the kids and the parents, the moms asking, just like disoriented, just coming out of the buzz. Um, so yeah, I can.
2: It's very emotional. It I mean, is. It, it really is,
1: as you could see. Yeah. I mean,
2: yeah. Um, you know, there's something that moves you like to the core when you see this. Often government. Um, the first thing you think about is like logistics, operations, like, okay, how do we do this? How do we find beds? How do we find, you know, it's it's, it's challenging, especially when you, you're welcoming so many people. But if you care about just the humanity of people, you realize that, gosh, you know, like just a simple like embrace and just being there for people, I mean, goes a long way. Our immigration system is so broken. How is it possible that... People are now, you know, many thousands of people are under our care. They're not allowed to work legally in the country and likely won't be for months. Like that just does not make sense. We need comprehensive immigration reform. We need to get it together, right, as a country Um, because people are suffering as a result. And we shouldn't forget that, you know, we have a large undocumented population, many who have lived here for decades who are new yorkers who are american really uh you know i grew up undocumented i grew up as a dreamer and i had i didn't know anywhere else but new york city but i was being told you don't belong here that just just not doesn't make sense
1: yeah um so what is something that um or ways that our listeners can help asylum seekers in their everyday lives what can they do
2: Well, support your local library, (laughs) for sure, because, again, like me, when I was a a child, I'm sure that many of the asylum seekers will find refuge in their local libraries and their local community organizations. You know, we've welcomed over 50,000 asylum seekers, and that's just of the people that, you know, we know of. I'm sure many tens of thousands more have arrived, That are not in our radar, right? Um, Because they didn't come to us for shelter. So, join a board, you know, join a fundraising effort for any of these local groups and continue to show up for them. I mean, as we spoke earlier, showing up for them and, and making sure that they feel welcomed and embraced goes a long way because often they did not see that along their journey. And that is devastating for people. So we have to be there for them, which is why, I mean, often I got asked, well, why do you keep going and shaking people's hands and embracing them? And I'm like, I just can't, I can't stop because it's like, it, it's just like we need to, we need to face this.
0: That was part of our interview with Manuel Castro, the commissioner at the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs. Moya, along with NYC Human Resources Administration, partners with the library to support the New American's navigator position, which is Allison's title. Moya and HRA also coordinate IDNYC services at the library and the volunteer-based English conversation groups called We Speak NYC. Moya also
1: set up navigation centers across the city last fall, which are places asylum seekers can go to get information about legal services food programs, housing, and information about New York City schools. We'll put information about all of
0: those programs on our episode webpage. And the library partners with other nonprofits and organizations to serve asylum seekers. Just last month, BPL partnered with KIND, which stands for Kids in Need of Defense. KIND is an organization that works with children who cross the border.
1: So we are currently working with unaccompanied minors who are crossing without guardians. They are under the age of 18 sometimes even babies of five months old. This is Rosalyn Valdez, a paralegal with KIND. She was at Central in March to help run a program introducing some of the young people they represented to resources at the library. They need support from adults. They need
0: food, clothing, housing. Um, anything you can think of. There were a lot of teens at this particular event, so a speaker gave a presentation in Spanish about financial literacy. And this event with KIND is just one of several initiatives we're hoping to offer to new Brooklynites. Um, In one of our recent Asylum and Refugee Response Meetings here at BPL, we talked about bringing BPL's Techmobile to shelters in Brooklyn where asylum seekers are being temporarily housed so they can use computers and get library cards. Um, And we also talked about offering more job information resources in multiple languages. If you need legal help with immigration or want to learn more about the programs that you can take advantage of, you can call 718-230-2007 or email Services at bklynlibrary.org. Um, you'll talk to Allison, actually, who you heard at the beginning of this episode.
1: And if you're looking for English classes at the library, we have classes at many levels. Information about that is on our website, or feel free to call
0: 201-899-4914 to learn more. We'll put information to all of these resources on our episode web page, which you can find at bklynlibrary.org podcasts. Um, and there you can also find a transcript of this episode. A reminder that BPL's entire website can be translated into 21 different languages. So if you want to send a transcript of this episode to someone who speaks a language other than English, you can do that.
1: Borrow is brought to you by Brooklyn Public Library. This episode was produced by Virginia Marshall and written and hosted by me and Virginia.
0: Our Borrowed Advisory Team is Fritzie Bodenheimer, Robin Lester Kenton, and Damaris Olivo. Jennifer Prophet and Ashley Gill run our social media. Our music composer is Billy Libby. Meryl Friedman designed our logo.
1: And on our next episode, we'll hear from Asylum Seekers themselves and our visit to the Good Shepherd Church in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, where community organizers have been mobilizing to support new migrants for the past three years.
0: In the meantime, why not support a community-based organization? We've got links to a few of them on our episode webpage. Thanks for listening and take care.